So a little boy was sent out on an errand by his mother. And he was gone for a fairly long while. She was just starting to get nervous when he came back through the door. Honey, she said, you were gone a pretty long time. Are you okay? Yeah. Well, that's good. What took you so long? My friend, I saw her on the side of the road, and she um, was on the side of the road because her bike broke. So I stopped to help. Well, that was great, honey, she said. But you don't know anything about fixing bicycles. I know, her son replied. I stopped to help her cry. Friends, church is about stopping to help each other cry and stopping to help each other laugh and sometimes even about stopping to help each other fix a bicycle. We'll get back to that in a bit, but first let me say how thrilled I am to be with you all, to be part of the First Parish Congregation and to be your minister for pastoral care. I have been glad to be getting to know you a bit, and I bet you're a little curious about who I am, too. I was raised in Ohio, and I moved to Boston for college about almost 20 years ago. My parents are still in Ohio. My sister went out to California. I still love the land in Ohio, but New England is home now. My first career was in American Sign Language Interpretation. I mostly worked in schools, from high schools to grad schools, and in medical settings. Interpreting is challenging and stimulating work. It feeds my mind and heart. But several years ago, in my heart, something started to shift. You see, as an interpreter, I'm a neutral third party, helping two other people have a conversation. And I started to feel like I wanted to be part of the conversation, especially if one person was hurting. I wanted to be able to listen and offer support. That's about the time I started to say yes to ministry. I'm a lifelong Unitarian Universalist, and I was a lay leader starting in my teens, becoming involved in youth and then young adult communities. In those circles, I was invited to be a leader, yes, especially during times of transition. But I was also welcome to bring my pain. Church was the first place I came out at a time when it wasn't necessarily safe to be out in my town. At church, I could say I was afraid. Would my friends accept me at school for who I was? Thankfully, the answer was yes. But of course, no one could answer that question for me. But they could listen. After a few years on the East Coast, I started going to Arlington Street Church in Boston. Like my childhood congregation in Ohio, Arlington Street was a place where we practiced being a caring community. Especially during grief, 
we rallied around each other. We brought our broken hallelujahs, our memories, our whole hearts. We shared stories and stopped to help each other cry. We didn't have to be anything more or less than what we were in that moment. And that is my hope for each congregation I serve and my hope for you, that you will know that you are welcome here, that this is a circle of caring and that you don't have to be anything more or less than what you are right now. I will always stop to help you cry. So my own experiences of deep community are a big part of why I'm called to pastoral care ministry. I began to sense that call in a back pew at Arlington Street. Each Sunday, a worship leader sits with congregants and offers a listening ear while they write down sorrows and joys for us to read aloud during worship. When I served in this role as a lay worship leader, I learned that people often want support while they write their prayers. Sometimes I would be the first person that somebody told about a new diagnosis or a death in their family. And I was called upon to listen. This type of listening was different than the listening you do for a friend as part of an everyday conversation. It wasn't mutual, but focused on the need of the person in front of me, on their feelings and experiences. And this listening felt perhaps deeper somehow. I'm not sure, but it definitely felt sacred. And it felt like work that I was meant to do. I pushed that idea aside for a few years, though, before finally giving in and going to seminary. Some would say I pushed it aside for a few decades. I chose Andover Newton Theological School because its curriculum balanced the, the, the theoretical and the practical, and I loved it. I continued to feel called to a ministry of deep listening. I thought I might be headed to hospital chaplaincy and I did like that work. I have about a year and a half of experience there. But as much as I loved last year being at Mass General, I also love congregational life. And when I heard about this ministry at First Parish, I was intrigued. And then as I learned more, I realized how very much I wanted to be here. I am delighted to finally be with you all. Thank you for being so warm and so welcoming this past month. I am glad to be getting to know you, and I look forward to continuing to get to know each other. For we are just beginning to get to know each other. Some of you have shared parts of yourselves with me and parts of your stories with me. Some of you I've just met and some of us haven't even met yet. In some ways, I feel like I'm getting settled here, but really, we're still so new to one another. That means that there are deeper things that haven't been shared yet, and that's okay. 
it's a natural part of a new beginning. But I am eager to hear your stories. Stories about who you are as individuals and families. Stories about Concord and about what it's like to live in your towns. Stories about this congregation, whether you've been here for a lifetime or for a day. Some of those stories, I know, will include times that you and Marion shared. I didn't interact with her much before I came here, but I am so grateful for her ministry. And I know that you are grieving Marion's absence. Even though you helped her celebrate her retirement and even though you said good goodbyes, it's a loss that she isn't at First Parish anymore. My gratitude for Marion and your grief for her absence are two sides of the same coin. So First Parish, I welcome all of your stories and all of who you are. I'll be holding some open houses in the next few weeks so that we can get to know each other more. Keep an eye out for details. And my office is open if you'd like to meet one-on-one. But you might say, what does that look like? What is this pastoral care thing anyway? I think I might know, but I might not be sure. And how do you, Liz, how do you approach it? Good questions. Pastoral care is the support that happens in spiritual community. When one person recognizes and serves the spiritual and emotional needs of another. It's not mutual, but attentive to the person or family seeking support. Pastoral care is mostly focused listening, like I started to do in that back pew at Arlington Street. When I meet with you, my role is to be a loving witness for you, to explore your present reality with you, and to use theory, emotion, and theology to support your spiritual and emotional healing. My core assumptions in pastoral care are that we are broken and whole simultaneously. That we need both connection and autonomy. And that the sacred is within us, between and among us, and beyond us. I value beneficence, reverence for each person that I'm with, autonomy within relationship, and justice and equity. I work to support your connection with the imminent and the transcendent, or put more plainly, your connection with yourself and with something greater than yourself. And I offer you, as poet Mark Nepo writes, a soft and sturdy home in which real things can land. Sometimes people wonder when they can or should seek pastoral care. Is this enough to ask to meet with my minister? First of all, there's nothing too big or too small to bring to me or to Howard or Amy or anyone. I welcome all of who you are. But beyond that, here's a list of 10 more concrete reasons just off the top of my head. 
You might want to meet if someone who you love is ill or died. You or someone you love is going through something hard or scary. You have a new baby or grandbaby, and you want to share the news, especially pictures. You've been struggling to have a baby, and you feel frustrated and alone. You're experiencing a life transition, and you want to sit back and take stock. You feel like something is missing in your life, but you're not sure what. You've been thinking about God, whether you do or don't believe. You've been thinking about God. You want to try out a new spiritual practice, but you don't know where to start. You're having a strong reaction to an injustice in our world. Or, finally, you've had a peak experience, one of those transcendent, stand-out moments, and you want to share it or explore it some more. In a pastoral care meeting, we could talk about any of those things, or pretty much anything else. I'm interested in whatever is going on in your life and what's important to you. I'm here for you, along with Howard and Amy, as your ordained ministers. And in this community, we are fortunate to also have pastoral care lay ministers. Our pastoral care lay ministers are trained to provide support for less acute situations. They will stop to cry or laugh with you, too. And your point person for that team through the month of October is Peter Nobile. Remember how I said that sometimes church is even about stopping to help each other fix a bicycle? I confess that was a metaphor. As far as I know, we don't have a bicycle fixing team here at First Parish. Yet. <laughs> but we do have some ways to offer material support under the pastoral care umbrella. If you or your family is having a hard time and a hot meal would help, especially a hot meal that you don't have to cook, we have a team to bring you meals. Other folks can offer rides to appointments. And there are more teams for other of those logistical details. So if you need support, whether a listening ear or a wrench for your metaphorical bicycle, let me know. And let each other know. Because pastoral care is more than what we professionals or trained lay leaders offer. It's the support that you offer each other as fellow parishioners. It's calling up your friend after she posts on Facebook that things have been rough. It's walking the new member's dog after he breaks his leg. It's offering your fellow committee member a ride home after a long meeting late at night. Or it's asking for that phone call, that help, that ride. 
These small acts are how we build real community. They're how we close the loop in our circle of caring. So as we move into the future together, I hope that you will share the funny stories and the hard stories with me and with one another. I hope that we can continue to become a church where people are kind to one another, where we can disagree and still get along, where we can just be real. That will help us to be a circle of caring, a place where you can bring your whole self, including your doubts and your pain. For we are all whole, and we are all broken, and friends, we are better together. In this human circle, caring is a calling, and all of us are called. So bring everything. Bring your joy and your heartache. Bring your wish for perfection and all of your imperfection. Bring your desire to save the world and your overwhelm at the state of the world. Bring your soaring melody and your broken hallelujah. For there is work to do that only you can do. Together, we care for one another. Together, we create real community. As we create real community, we begin to heal. And as we begin to heal, we gain strength and wisdom to share beyond our walls. May it be so. Amen and blessed be.